0: Good morning, if you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and as you do that, uh, let me welcome those of you who are visiting with us today and, and those who are joining us in the East Venue and online, we are glad uh, that you are here to worship with us um, my name is Kyle Valer, and I serve as one of the pastors on staff here. And I am really looking forward to opening God's Word with you this morning. There are—I was telling the um, uh, leaders this morning as we were gathering before the service—there are some passages that you read, and you go, "Wow!" Like your initial reaction is, "That's really fascinating. I've learned a lot." There are others that your initial reaction is, "Wow, that's very challenging." Others, you go, I have no idea what that's talking about. And then you have things like Psalm 103. And you come away from that psalm having read it going, our God is good, and he's beautiful, and he's marvelous. And so I'm, I'm just excited to be in Psalm 103 with you this morning. We're starting a new series called Pray uh, with the intention that you and I would grow to be men and women of prayer. And I know that for many of us, prayer can be intimidating. Uh, What do you say in prayer? What do you not say in prayer? How often should you pray? How long should you pray? These kinds of questions can oftentimes so overwhelm our minds that we either don't pray often or we don't even pray at all. But it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, we can't be okay with it being that way. If you're one of the many listening this morning who are here and you say, I struggle with prayer, then this series is intended for you. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the Psalms. We're going to see what the Psalms have to say and how they can help us to pray the various types of prayer that we find in Scripture. Prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of lament and thanksgiving and supplication. And each Sunday, we're going to walk through a psalm that corresponds to that type of prayer because the goal is that we would see that prayer is not really that complicated. It might be intimidating, but it's not difficult you can be a man or woman of prayer. In fact, the Lord wants you to be a man or woman of prayer because prayer shows that you have a relationship with Him. Prayer shows that you depend upon God. Particularly in the Psalms, God has given us an unbelievable collection of words and phrases and truths that we can use in our prayer life to shape our prayers. Psalms really is a master class on prayer. So, let's learn to pray. If you have your place in the Bible and you're able to stand, let me invite you to do so as we read Psalm 103. David, who wrote this psalm, writes this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, He made known his ways to Moses, his his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord... the Lord, all His works and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you, and we ask that we might, this morning, from our hearts, adore you. For you are worthy. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you will bless the preaching of it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're starting with prayers of adoration, and, and in general, to adore means that we value or cherish something or someone. It's a term of respect and love. It's the heart of Worship, because in worship we recognize and we treasure and we make much of God. We see that He's worthy and we want it known that He's worthy. That's what we're doing in worship. And in Psalm 103, we see in verses 1 through 5 that the heart of adoration is a heart that adores. The heart of adoration is a heart that adores. What I mean is this. Take a look at verses 1 through 5. Who is David talking to in those first five verses? Look at him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Like, who's, who is he talking to? Himself. Himself. He's telling his own soul, hey, it's time to wake up. If you've ever struggled to pray because of the weariness of life or the exhaustion of your body, and your, all of your motivation to pray has been sapped by those things, then be encouraged that no less than King David himself struggled to but in his struggle, I want you to notice how he responded. He didn't abandon prayer. He didn't go back to bed. He didn't just say, well, I just got to get on with my day. No, he lit a fire under his own soul by reminding himself of God and all that God had done for him. You see, we let our feelings govern our prayer life. That's what we do. If we feel good, we pray. But if we're tired stressed out, we're too busy, we're spiritually dry, then we don't. But David shows us that we can't give that type of control to our feelings. Sometimes we have to talk to ourselves. Sometimes we have to take charge of ourselves. Sometimes, like Jacob wouldn't let go of God, we have to take hold of our soul and say, I won't let you go. I won't let you go until you bless the Lord. If you only ever worship when you feel like it, then you'll find yourself worshiping less and less. But the opposite is true, too. If you begin to worship even when you don't feel like it, you'll find yourself worshiping more and more. We're talking about Taking the things of God, taking the things that make God worthy of worship, and using them to warm our own hearts to the point of worship. That's what David does in verses 1 through 5. He tells his own soul, Don't forget all that God has done for you. The Lord, Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, is the God who entered into the relationship with the Israelites so that he blessed them with his word and his protection and his provision. This is the holy God who's shown himself to be perfect and unique in power and knowledge and love and goodness. And speaking of goodness, David reminds himself of how good God has been to him. David knows he's a sinner, but he also knows that God has graciously forgiven him. David knows he's faced the consequences of his own transgressions, but the Lord's been his deliverer time and time again. Now, in in verse 3, when it says that God heals all your diseases, we know that, yes, God will ultimately heal all diseases forever and ever. But here, David isn't talking about all diseases in general. He's talking specifically about curses against the Israelites and their land that were connected to the law in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. We know this because the word he uses there that's translated diseases in our English translations, it's not the normal general word for sickness. It's a rare word. It's only ever used in the Old Testament to refer to ailments that were connected to God's judgment against the people when they disobeyed the covenant. And so what David's saying is that he's seen the Lord to be faithful to restore his people to their health and the land to health when they have returned to him in repentance. But not only has God taken away the punishment that David deserved, he's also shown him grace in giving David things that he doesn't deserve. Things like steadfast love, compassionate help, and more than, a good, more than enough good things to strengthen and encourage David. God has redeemed David and he's shown David incredible goodness that has renewed and kept David every day of his life. When your heart needs a jump start to worship, remember the one that you are praying to. Don't drift into indifference or ease into apathy. There is no one who has done more for your eternal well-being than the Lord. There's no one who's offered you more, loved you deeper, deeper, forgiven you more often, and stayed with you more closely than God. And sometimes we need to remind our own heart of these things sometimes we have to awaken ourselves from our spiritual stupor and remember that God's been good to us. So when you don't feel like praying, and you don't feel like worshiping, and you don't feel like making much of Jesus, don't give up. Grab your Bible, call your soul to account, and remind yourself of who your God is and what he's done for you. Because when you remember, when you remember that you were lost and without hope, and when you think back to all the regrets and all the shame and all the guilt, all the things that you wish you had never done and all the things that you hope never, no one ever finds out about, when you think that... Through, through all that. And you know that in that condition, God didn't turn from you, but he called you by name and knowing all about your past and all about your present and all about your future, he gave his son for you to die in your place and take your punishment and to give you a new name and a new hope and a new life. When you remember all of that, and you think about how he has always provided for you what you needed, he has never left your side, and how he has always been faithful, then your heart will be ready to adore your God. And you will say with David, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And at that moment, the momentum of adoration will just continue to build and build in your heart. David begins in verse 6 to recall how the Lord was there for the Israelites during Moses' time. Whether it was the exodus or the way that God cared for his people in the wilderness, David remarks that all of it has shown how good and worthy God has been. Now, we are a people who like to look to the future. We are are a people that like to do that. And that type of mentality has been good for us. It has done wonders for the advancement of many things that we experience today. But if we're going to be steadfast going forward, we have to consistently look back. David looked to the great works of God through Moses and the first generation of the Israelites. We look back to the cross and the greater work of God through Jesus and his early church. You will never persist in worship if you don't consistently remember all that God's done for His people through the ages. The church never outgrows her need to be reminded of the past. Because today's stresses and and tomorrow's worries tend to overwhelm our hearts. We must keep going back to what God's already done, what He's already said, what He's already promised. And we find those things in the Scriptures. This is why Psalm 103 and every other passage in the Bible can be so incredibly helpful to you as you grow to be men and women of prayer. Because in the Scriptures, we're given the content and the language of godly adoration. Do you want to grow in your ability to adore God? Then grow in your knowledge and understanding of His Word. And let your faith be grown and shaped by all that God's shown himself to be in the scriptures. That's what David does when he describes the Lord as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's just repeating what God said about himself to Moses in Exodus 34. It was how God described himself. It's who he is to this day. This is the God that we adore. God is the one who's merciful to you. God is the one who's gracious to you. He's the one who's slow to anger with you. He's the one who is abounding in steadfast love for you. Just consider what David's telling us in these verses about the God that we've gathered to worship this morning. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Isaiah 57 says that if if God was always looking to bring a charge against us, if he was always building his case against us, our spirit would faint because we could not handle it. We couldn't maintain our strength if God was always set against us, but he's not. His anger is slow to arrive and it is quick to depart. When we return from our sins, he flings away his anger like a father does with the prodigal son, he doesn't wait for you to have the perfect confession. He doesn't wait for you to show perfect remorse for your sin. He welcomes you home with shouts of joy and acceptance because he doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Being his children, we never get what we deserve. Never. You and I deal with people differently depending on how they've acted toward us, right? This is what we do. As long as they're kind and thoughtful to us, as long as they remember us, as long as, as, long as they say kind things to us, we like them and we treat them with love and respect. But if they cross us, if they insult us, if they leave us out, if they even just have an unpleasant attitude toward us, we're standoffish. And the faces and the words and the actions that we have communicate everything except love to them. But this is not how God is with you. He doesn't roll his eyes when you return yet again needing mercy. He doesn't sigh when you enter the room looking for his help. He doesn't give you the stink eye when you meet with him in prayer. Why? Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It is his love for us and his forgiveness of us that that informs his responses to us. Notice what's missing in this explanation of why in the world God has been so gracious to you and me. Notice what's missing. No mention of anything that we have done. Nothing that we have brought to the table. There is nothing in you that motivates his kindness. There is nothing in me that I've done that inspires him to show me mercy and love. Why does he love you? Why does he love you? Because he loves you. Why does he forgive you? Because he forgives you. It's that simple and straightforward. And that's what makes it so amazing and so hard to believe. We're constantly looking at ourselves and our accomplishments and our sincerity, searching frantically for something to stand on so we can point to it and say, hey, I have found the reason why God loves me. I've found the reason why he keeps forgiving me. But deep down, we know it's fruitless because we know who we are deep down. We know our accomplishments are not that impressive We know that our sincerity is inconsistent at best. But even so, God's love for us is greater. And his forgiveness for us is deeper than we could ever imagine. Isaiah 55 8 through 9 this is something that many of you are familiar with it's where the Lord says for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my your ways my ways for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts and oftentimes we'll say some form of that verse when life doesn't make sense and we'll say well you know his ways are not my ways And, and we'll say that in that type of context. And about life, that's true. There are plenty of times where the plans and purposes of God seem way out there for us. And we're like, what is he doing? They don't make sense. But if you go to Isaiah 55 and you read verses 6 and 7 just before what I've quoted, you get a clearer picture of what Isaiah is actually talking about when he writes that God's ways aren't our ways. This is what verses 6 and 7 say. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon He's talking about the love and the mercy of God. So that we read Isaiah's invitation to all the wicked of the land and and we turn back to the Lord and we say, like, how in the world could it be that you who have been judging the wicked all this time are now calling them to repent and promising them, if they do, you will have compassion on them. How could it be that you would do that? Verses eight and nine. His thoughts aren't your thoughts. His ways aren't your ways. When you can't believe that anyone could forgive you for so much or love you so deeply, then understand this. He doesn't think like you. How you would do things, that is not how he does them. You can't even... David says... His steadfast love for you, O child of God, is higher than the heavens. Like, you can't even see that high. And his love for you goes further still. At times, my kids were younger. I would say, do you know how much daddy loves you? Does he love you this much? They say, no. Does he love you this much? No, no. This much? No, no. This much, right? They go, yeah, that's how, that's how much He loves me. Believer, even the universe can't stretch far enough to contain God's love for you. As far as the East is from the West, so far does He separate our sins from us. You know, if you, if you think about the earth for just a second, and I keep traveling north, at some point I'm going to hit the North Pole. And from that point on our globe, whatever direction I go, I'm going south. From the North Pole, whatever direction I go, I'm going south. North and south meet. If I keep going north, I will eventually start to go south. But not so when it comes to east and west. I can keep going east or west forever. And never start going the opposite direction. There's an infinite expanse between East and West, and the same is true between you and your sins. So, Jenna and I have been listening to the Bible together in the mornings, and this past week we were um, listening in Leviticus, which sounds as exciting as it really is. It's really, it it actually has been good. But we were listening about the Day of Atonement, when the priests in the Old Testament would lay their hands on a goat, symbolizing transferring the sins of the people onto the goat. And then they would send it away into the wilderness It was meant to show that through the sacrifices, the people's sins were being removed far away from them. And so you can just imagine like how wonderful that picture was of the goat walking off, knowing that that's how God considered your sins. They were being led off into the wilderness. And so we I had paused. It was Leviticus 16. I had paused it. We kind of talked through that. And Jenna kind of paused for a little bit and then... She said, her first words were this, well, what happens if the goat wanders back into the camp? It's like, it'd be kind of awkward. So, um, yeah, y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. It's like Psalm 103 is God giving us another illustration without the uncooperative goat. East and West will never meet. And you and your sins will never meet again either. They may replay in your mind, but they don't replay in God's. He cast them away and they will never, ever return. Because our God is our compassionate Father. He's helpful. He's not overbearing. He's understanding and sympathetic. He's not disappointed. He's generous and patient. He's not indifferent or cold. Your father knows that you can't do it all or handle it all. He knows that. He knows your frame. He remembers that you're just dust that he's formed and breathed into. We forget that. We act like we're more than dust. So we walk around with this perpetual disappointment in ourselves and in our frailties. But he doesn't do the same with us. Our inconsistency doesn't surprise him. Our neediness doesn't catch God off off guard. Like the fact that we daily need his provision, daily need his wisdom, daily need his care. These things aren't new to him. He knows you're going to fail. He knows you're going to get confused. He knows that you're going to fall and you're going to wander away. And like any good father who watches over his child, just learning to to walk, he guides us and he doesn't lose his mind when we stumble and when we struggle through this life. We need only to take an evening stroll over to the ball field to see that we have forgotten that kids aren't adults. We need only to consider the times that we act surprised when seven-year-olds don't act like 27-year-olds or 27-year-olds don't act like 47-year-olds and so on and so forth, right? We say, how could you do that? Why would you do that? Why didn't you make that catch? How, uh, how could you not do that homework? Why can't you get it together? Because they're seven, they're 37, they're 67, they're whatever age, God doesn't do that with you. He remembers your frame. He remembers that you're just dust. You're like the grass, he says. That's here today and gone tomorrow, but his love remains on you even so. As one person put it, his love for you is everlasting in both directions. That's good news. This is your God. This is the one that we adore. But be aware that his everlasting love isn't on everybody. It's for those who fear him. For those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. These are the ways, the, the Old Testament ways of describing those who have a right relationship with God, which means that while God's love is everlasting, it is not universal. Not when it comes to this love described in Psalm 103. God's fatherly love is, rever- is reserved for those he's a father to. No one is born into this love. You must be born again into it. And that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Understand that if you're someone who has never called out to Jesus for salvation and you've never given your life to live for him, then the God of this psalm is the God that you are rejecting. Forget the caricatures of God that this world offers you. This is the God that you're rejecting. This perfect father with perfect love is the one who calls you to return to him. And seeing him as he is, how could you not trust him enough to do that? Now, in the last part of this psalm, verses 19 through 22, David moves from adoring God for his love to adoring God because of his power and his majesty. Like, it would be a sad picture. For us to imagine God having a heart like this for us, but not the authority to carry anything out for us. But that's not how it is with the Lord. There's no spot in all of the universe, in all of creation, over which God doesn't rule. You see, his love isn't the only thing that should motivate our worship. His might and his authority should as well. Last summer, we had the opportunity to go to the beach with some family friends, and this family, uh, each year, they um, several, several of them will take a kayak out into the ocean uh, for a time, and I had never kayaked in the ocean, so I decided to do this. And um, so it was just me and uh, one of the kids, I forget who went out, Sully, who went out with me, and we... Uh, Go out there, and I, I probably got, I don't know, 100, 150 yards out there. Um, Jenna ended up going like 500 yards, and you'll have, to tell, you'll have to ask her about that experience. But I went about 150 yards. That's as far as, as I want. Because as I got out there, and I just experienced the, the rolling of the waves under, and I'm kind of looking around, and it's quiet out there, I realized how small I really am. I'm in a small vessel, number one, but just re- realizing like how small and exposed I feel right now. Maybe you've had that same kind of experience. Maybe some of you have gone to the Grand Canyon and you've looked out over it and gone, I've, I didn't realize how small I am until I looked at this. Maybe you were just looking out over the ocean and you just get a glimpse of how immense creation is and how small you are. But here the psalm tells us that God's throne sits over it all. His grandeur and his power orchestrate everything that we see and we can't see over all of heaven and earth. So that our hearts, when we consider these things, our hearts can't help but say, my Goodness, like he is massive beyond words and he is worthy of my worship. But not only my worship, when we get in those circumstances, we, we realize like he's worthy of every person's worship. Verses 20 through 22 describe the true adoration of God, that it leads to invitation for others to join you in adoring God. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, Quote, men spontaneously praise whatever they value. And they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that that's magnificent? The psalmist in telling everyone to praise God, they are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. When you adore the Lord... You want others to adore him as well. When I got back to the beach after being out there in the kayak, I shared with others how small I felt out there. When you get, when you get back from the Grand Canyon or you've seen an amazing movie or, you, or, or you've experienced some just incredible circumstance, you share it with others. Your praise of it naturally leads you to invite others into your praise, into the the sharing of your praise of that thing. David's doing the very same thing in Psalm 103 when he calls all the hosts, all the armies of heaven, and then all of creation everywhere to join him in blessing the Lord when you remember his love and when you remember his power, you want God to get all the glory because you know that he's worthy of all the glory. You want others to praise him with you because you know that he deserves their praise. Faith family, ultimately, this series is about prayer. But not in the sense, like I don't, none of us want you walking away from this series going, okay, I need to be more formal in my prayers. I need to be more ritualistic. I need to use these kinds of words and not those kinds of words. I need to pray this long. I need to pray in this position. No. Like, those are, that, like, that's too small and unhelpful of an image of prayer. That, that's not the goal of this series. A better picture of prayer is the moment you try to say something after you have tasted the goodness of forgiveness. When you have been forgiven, and you truly know that you shouldn't be forgiven, in, in those moments in your life, when it hits you, and you try to say something, but you, you can't really, because it's just so overwhelming. Or when you see a, a dad or a mom that's just guiding a little one that's learning to walk, and there's just a pure and innocent joy in that that goes beyond that points beyond itself like this is this is genuinely good or when you stand outside on a clear night and there's not a lot of light around and you see the stars and you see that you could never count them if you had if you took the rest of your life and tried to count and you see how vast the, the beautiful stars are, like in those moments, what comes out of your mouth, if anything, really is an overflow of your heart. In fact, some of the best prayers of adoration involve no words at all, because you know that words couldn't capture what your heart is saying. That's... That's another place where God's word, like Psalm 103, can be very helpful. Because it can give words to us in that moment. It's almost as if in those moments where you go, I don't know how I could say anything and not detract from this moment. It's almost like God goes, well, here's Psalm 103 for you. Here's my word. You can't come up with the words, but I can. Here, use this. Brothers and sisters, if we would be more like Jesus, we have to become men and women of prayer. And if prayer is strange or intimidating to you, then let Psalm 103 lead you by the hand to love and adore the Lord more. Use it to reflect on His mercy in your life. Use it to remind yourself of his goodness and his grace in your life. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And as you meditate on that, your heart will be warmed and you'll be ready to say with David, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. May we be a people who adore the Lord for who He is and what He's done for us. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do adore You. Words could never capture how good You've been to us. When we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. And you have been faithful. So many times we have turned away. So many times we have not been faithful. And you have never failed to be faithful. You've always given us what we need. You've never left our side. Even when we were that sheep wandering away, running away with everything that we were, you left the 99 and you came after us and you called us by name and you promised us that no one, no one, nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love. No one can snatch us out of your hand. So God, I just pray that my heart, the hearts of my brothers and sisters here this morning, those that are online, like all of us, our hearts would be warmed, that we might adore you, that we might worship you, give you praise and glory, because you alone are worthy. Lord, give us hearts that long to praise you, and that not, not only long to praise you, but actually praise you. Do your work in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.